counted or counted, credited. That word appears about four times in our little section, and then the word justify or justification seven times, so it's important to get to know it. Now, when we say that uh, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, definitions are offered and we just kind of uh, receive them. But I think it's good if we could see it from the scripture, what, what that word means. So justification means to declare right. There's a couple, we can go anywhere in the scripture, I'm sure, but I have a couple of verses that I think will help us. If we went to the Old Testament and then we went to the New Testament. In, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 25, if something occurred, if there's a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Now, the righteous is already righteous. They're just declaring him righteous, you see? So it's declaring righteous. The righteous is already uh, righteous. The judge just declares it. And then in the New Testament, when the Lord Jesus was here, right? Uh, all the people heard him, the Lord Jesus. When he was here, he spoke among the people. And even, listen to this, Luke, Luke 7, even the tax collectors justified God. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? Yeah, they declared God was right, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So they declared God right. That's what the word means. They didn't make God right. God is righteous. God is holy, right? He's transcendently holy. But they declared him right. So I hope that helps a little bit. It's also in the beginning of our chapter in Roman in, in verse 4, but we won't cover that right now. So you can, I forgot to bring the pointer. Just go ahead and uh, advance. Okay. This is a little bit of an expansion. Justification is an act, not a process. There are no degrees of justification, right? Each believer has the same standing before God, whether he is, a, you know, the Bible talks about he that is spiritual. There are some that are believers that are carnal, where they have very little interest in the things of God. Probably saved. Although Paul says to some, I stand in doubt of you. As he looked around, because there was not much action. But whatever the case, is, if a person is born again, there are no degrees. They're declared right. Each believer has the same standing, the righteous standing before God. It's something that God does and not man. No sinner can justify himself before God. And it's not that God makes us righteous. We've already uh, referred to this, but that he declares us righteous. And it's a legal matter. God puts the righteousness of Christ on our record in the place of our sinfulness. You can't beat such a deal, right? God puts his righteousness on us as sinners. And nobody can change that record. And we shouldn't confuse justification and sanctification. We haven't got to that big word yet. Romans uses a bunch of big theological words. but I, And I don't propose to understand them all. But sanctification is, is not justification. Uh, in other words... Sanctification is a process, practical sanctification, that is. Once a person, a believer, is born again and justified, declared right, there's a process that begins to make the, us right. And that's a, that, that's a process, right? We, God is conforming us to the image of his son. Sanctification may change from day to day. Justification never changes. When we trust Christ as Savior, God declares us righteous, and that declaration will never be canceled or withdrawn. A key verse, what we already read in Romans uh, 4 or 5, to him that believeth not, but his, uh, to him that worketh not, I think, to him that works not, uh, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith 
is counted for righteousness. Let me just summarize what we looked at last week. Just a brief summary. The first 20 verses of chapter 3. All humanity, right, under sin. All, whether Jew or Greek, the Jew, yeah, the Jew hasn't have, has an advantage because he had the word of God. He was also under the law. But being under the law, under the perfect law of God, he proved that all the world is guilty before God. No one, Jew, Gentile, no matter who, could keep the righteous law of God. There is no one righteous. None, there is none good, no, not one. Now, there's a question that could come from that, right? If you're talking to somebody, uh, a neighbor, uh, a co-worker, and, 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 and uh, you know, you mentioned that and there's none good. I remember once on a door-to-door, uh, a man answered and he got quite upset because he said, you know, I'm a good man. I'm a good man. I said, well, you know, the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. He didn't like that. And, I, you know, I, I, let's, let's be fair. No human being likes that. To be told that we're sinners, that we're guilty. Oh, and sometimes, you know, we'll, ex- we'll, we'll, we'll agree that we're sinners, but not guilty sinners. A person will say, yo, yeah, you know, we've all, we've all had our many boo-boos, you know. But, but God says we're guilty. We're guilty before God, right? So, but, but the, the natural question goes, what about my neighbor? He's been married 50 years to the same wife. He's faithful. He's, 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 a, he's an upstanding citizen. You know, he's a goody two-shoes. What about him? Is God going to condemn him? Well, what is the standard for good? Ask, look, where do we find it? Ask Google. Is that where we find it? The standard for good? Or do we ask God? Right? We go, we go to God's word and we find what the standard for good is. Who's the standard setter? Right? I, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's a natural question. There are good people everywhere. They have good morals. They're, they're, they, they don't lie. They don't cheat and all that business. Right? So, so, so what is the standard? Well, uh, we, we, we go to the word of God. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So I have good neighbors. They're good. Good co-workers. I can work with them. But they're sinners, they're guilty sinners in God's sight because he sets the standard for good. We're going to learn that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, when the Bible says we're all guilty, it's because why? Because of the perfect law of God. You know, the law of God is not just suggestions to live by. A little code and and we try as hard as we can. And oh, oh, yes, I failed one today, but all right, I can wake up tomorrow and try again. No, it's law. L. A-W. It's more than just commands even. It's command plus penalty. Command plus penalty. The Bible says we're born cursed because we're under the law. This is what the Bible says. Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things that are in the book of the law to do them. So in the eyes of God, we may feel good. And we look around ourselves, you know, raise up our glasses, you know. <laughs> I'm not as bad as that one. I'm better than that one. You know, and we compare ourselves with ourselves. But that's not what the Bible says. All have sinned. The law is the law. Just just consider the law of gravity, right? We can understand the law of gravity. Maybe we don't grasp the law of God. And we say, well, I'm not so bad. You know, I'm not so bad when it comes to the law. Well, listen, listen to how bad you are. The law of gravity, like the law of God, is a law, right? It's not just a good idea. 
Not just a suggestion, we live by it, right? If you're out one day flying around on your jetpack, and you're enjoying all the sights, looking down on everybody, and then the, the jetpack fails. You're not going to break the law of gravity. The law of gravity is going to break you, right? One law broken, we're out. So don't, don't sit there. We can't sit there and think, I'm not so bad. All the world is guilty before God. Let's highlight some of our section today. Uh, to the next one. Now, when we read this, thank you, Daleth. But you know, when Daleth read that, he said, but now I'm going to emphasize. Oh, did you, did you switch it? Ah, there we go. But now we're going to emphasize that. But now it's a favorite expression of Paul. It's kind of like a signpost declaring a before and after reality. It's not just a favorite expression of Paul. It's a favorite expression of the Lord Jesus when he was, when he was on earth. So I'm sure Paul just copied him. You remember when the Lord Jesus was here a number of times, he used this very phrase, but now go ahead, look it up. It'll make a good sermon. But now remember when he was telling about the rich man and Lazarus, you know, and Abraham, uh, he was speaking what Abraham was saying and, 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 uh, you, the rich man in your lifetime, you enjoyed good things and Lazarus, evil things, but now it's different, but now. And the but now there was eternal because the rich man was lifted up his eyes in torment and he needed uh, some uh, coolness on his tongue, but he wouldn't get it. So the but now that's going to tell us of a before and an after reality It's presenting something. It's presenting the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ to everyone, not just the Jew, but to the Gentile circumcision, uncircumcision. We'll touch on that when we get to it. But how can this be? I just want to highlight before we get into it, one little phrase. I just, did you notice in verse 27? There is a phrase in verse 27 that only appears one time in the Bible. Look at it. Uh, verse 27, chapter 3, where is boasting? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Did you catch that phrase? The law of faith. One time in the Bible. So, uh, it, 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 the, the gospel has faith and not merit as the principle or or the law on which it operates, right? The principle, the gospel has faith and not merit as the principle or law on which it operates. A person, Jew or Gentile, whoever it is, could be justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. A person can be declared right in the sight of God. It is not the law of God. It is not the law of Moses, but the law of faith. See, the law of faith. Later on, Paul will say the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Chapter four, some highlights before we get into it. Two examples. We had uh, uh, righteousness uh, illustrated there. We'll get to that. Abraham and David. The basis for being right with God continues to be, be revealed at the end of chapter four. But we know from chapter three, the righteousness of God is through, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And we know him, the Lord Jesus, whom God has set forward to be a propitiation by his blood. We'll cover that when we get to it. But now in chapter four, we learn more details. But now 
The righteousness of God will be credited, imputed, counted to all those who believe. So let's start in our section, beginning with verse number 21. That's a few highlights. Uh, uh, verse 21. We're going to look at here in this section through the end of the chapter, 21 through 31, the principle of justification. Now, this can't be expressed enough because it is so embedded in our minds. Salvation is by faith alone. Righteousness is on another principle than our right doing. It is so natural to think, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. Here's how the Bible works. Here's how the gospel works. The just one in heaven justifies the unjust. In our minds, it doesn't make sense. The just one, God, justifies the unjust me, a sinner. The just God justifies the unjust human. The righteous one justifies the unrighteous. Okay. We're going to have a little outline here on this last few verses. When There we go. The principle of justification. God's plan of salvation is revealed. God's plan of salvation is righteous and God's plan of salvation is reasonable. Let's go for the first one there. God's plan. God's plan. It's witnessed to by the law and the prophets. What was written in the inspired writings was not in conflict with the message that was present. If we went back to the very beginning of Romans, right? The very beginning, the second verse, God promised before through his prophets the gospel in his holy scriptures. It's totally compatible. You know, the Bible's a wonderful book. Yeah, we call it Old Testament and New Testament, but it's it's one book, and we, we, we can see it uh, 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 compatible so often. It's available to everyone, and it's universal, even though everyone falls short of God's standard. God's standard is the glory of God. If you want uh, a good uh, definition or a help in that, sometimes that phrase, the glory of God, is a bit nebulous. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you go, if we go back to chapter one, we could expand on that a little bit, but we won't do it now. But it, it, it helped me to get a little bit of, bit of a better grip. We fall short of the glory of God. You know, again, we, we, we glory in ourselves. So we look around and we say, I'm not so bad. But if we see the standard is God, we've all fallen short. Now justify occurs for the first time, verse 24 in our little section. Uh, and then it says in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. Another translation, maybe some of you are saying uh, freely as a gift. God will declare you righteous. God will declare me righteous as a gift. Not any merit of my own. A well-known preacher was talking with a coal miner, trying to get his attention, trying to make him understand that salvation is a gift. There's nothing you can do to pay for it. He kept saying over and over, I have to pay for it. I have to pay for it. And the, and the brother had this kind of a divine light in his head. And he said to the coal miner, he said to him, uh, uh, how did you get down into the mine this morning? And he said, well, that was easy. He said, I, I, I just got on the elevator. And I went down. Wasn't that too easy? The man said, the brother said to the, to the miner, wasn't that too easy? Didn't it cost you something? The man laughed. No, it didn't cost me anything. But then he said, but it must have cost the company a great deal. 
Because look, look at all the, the costs they had to put into that to get me down into this mine. And then it clicked. Doesn't cost me anything. Doesn't cost you anything to be saved, but it cost God the life of his son. Through the redemption, redemption, it stresses deliverance through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The basis of our deliverance is the penalty from the penalty of sins is the work of the, of the Lord Jesus. It's beautiful. The sinner gets the benefit, but God gets the credit. The sinner gets the benefit, but God gets the credit. See, we, we naturally want to stand before God and give ourselves an attaboy. I did it, right? No, it's not going to be like that. But in our minds, that's the way we think. Surely I have to do something. Surely I have to do something. And then we get a big word also in verse number 25, uh, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Uh, uh, one translation has it, a mercy seat. Now, you won't know what the mercy seat is if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, right? In the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, in the Holy of Holies, there was this box called the ark. On top of the ark was a uh, a solid gold lid cast with, with cherubims. That was called the mercy seat. And you know what was inside the ark? The only place the law could be kept in the ark of God. That was the only place because people broke it. But in order for man to have any access to God, those cherubims, those guardians that were on top of that lid called the mercy seat, they were looking down on the mercy seat. And what was on the mercy seat? The blood sprinkled of an animal. And thereby God could could uh, have uh, a relation with, with a sinful man. Through the voluntary atoning sacrifice, Christ has become the mercy seat. For his people. Now, if we look at, if you look up in Webster or you look on Google or wherever, you want to look for propitiation, right? You know, that's something that we do for a God, right? It's, uh, you know, we appease a God that's angry usually by giving him a gift. I believe that goes on still in our day, uh, generation. Not, not even, not just in heathen lands, you know, we want to, in, in some of our religions, right? We throw something at an idol as we walk in the church, whatever, right? That we want to, sat, we, that's our, that's our, that's our nature. We want to satisfy somebody that we, that we believe is above us, even though we've made that God. But, uh, propitiation means the satisfying of God's holy law, the meeting of it, the meeting of its just demand so that God can freely give, forgive those who come to Christ and justified by his blood. The blood tells us of the price. Not that we're going to propitiate a God, but that God himself is propitiated and he put forward Christ to be a propitiation. God is satisfied with Christ. Are we? Then there's the demonstration uh, of it in verse 26. Uh, God was righteous in passing over the sins of the past. Sometimes people will ask, what about before the cross? What happened to all those sinners? Well, the Bible says, it, it says it in different ways throughout the scripture. Paul preaching to the, uh, to the, to the heathen in, in Athens, he says, uh, he looked back and he said, the time of this ignorance God overlooked. And then he would say earlier in, in, in Acts 14, in bygone generations, God allowed all nations to walk in their ways. In other words, God was overlooking their sins in view of the coming sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. But it is interesting to note in the Old Testament, I think the word forgiven appears, uh, 
I think it's the first time, at least the first time in Leviticus in chapter 4 with the sin offering. When they brought that sin offering, they were forgiven. It definitely says forgiven. Forgiven, but not blotted out, not taken away, right? Like we have in the, in the New Testament. And that's what we have in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And then uh, lastly, God's salvation, his plan of salvation is reasonable. Reasonable because the plan is all of God. And it cannot fail. There's no boasting allowed. If man came up, look at my plan's better than your plan. My plan. No, no. There's none of that, right? We, we, we have God's plan. There's no boasting allowed, right? And it brings all people, Jew and Gentile, to the same level of dependence on the living God. And the law is maintained. It's not brushed under the carpet, nullified or voided. In the beginning, or it, earlier in chapter number three, we noticed the pronouncement of guilty. Last week's lesson at the end. The pronouncement of guilty because of the law. But here in the end of chapter three, we have the pronouncement of justified apart from the law. Beautiful. Then chapter four, uh, just a few words before we have a little outline up there. Chapter 4 is going to tell us about salvation by faith alone. Now, this is a very important point. The word alone is very critical. It's indispensable. We, we can't, it's very vital. Now, the term actually uh, mentioned alone is not in the Bible, but it's readily seen in our lesson uh, in, in a number of ways. We conclude that a man is justified, justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And then we read in... Uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 5, to him that does not work but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So the term alone is not mentioned, but it's readily seen. Now, herein is the uniqueness of biblical Christianity. Perhaps you've heard of uh, a well-known uh, Bible teacher and gospel preacher called Harry Ironside. He was speaking in the open air, declaring the one way of salvation, the Lord Jesus. And there was a heckler, of course, in the audience. And the heckler shouts out to, to Brother Ironside, What do you mean one way? There's thousands of belief systems in the world. Why? Wh who are you to say that your way is right? Mr. Ironside looked at him, the heckler. I know of only two. You say there's thousands. I know of only two belief systems. Those who believe they can save themselves and those who believe they need a savior. And that's exactly it. That's exactly it. This biblical Christianity is divided from every other religion on the face of the earth. I don't care what it is, whether they call themselves Christian or not. Had a dear lady come in the other day, you know, when I had the, with this foot thing here, have people coming in to, to minister, you know, and care. And, and uh, dear lady, well, I tried to tell her about this, the, the way of salvation. And she told me, well, you know, I go to mass every day. Oh, yeah, I believe on Jesus, but I go there every day. That's necessary. It's a must. As if I could add. No. We're not working our way to heaven. Justification is an act of God. When I'm born again, he declares me righteous right there. It's an act, not a process. Born from above. It's beautiful. 
It divides itself. Biblical Christianity divides itself from every other religion or belief system in the world. Consider this very sad truth. A person can be very religious, but not right with God. Let me repeat that. A person can be very religious, but not right with God. You know, there's going to be people. Now listen to this. There's going to be people that will claim this to the very end when they stand before the righteous judge. And it's too late then. Lord, haven't I done many wonderful works in your name? Oh, look at all the things that I've done. Look at all the money I've given. Uh, look at my, look at my heritage. Look at, he's going to say, depart. I never knew you. So we're going to see in chapter four that Paul demonstrates that salvation is by faith alone, apart from any work or merit of man. You can go ahead and switch to the next one. I just want to emphasize this a little bit more. Let's, let's look at them all before we comment briefly. Many people in the world, there's seven billion plus, I'm told, will, will, will claim salvation by faith, but not by faith alone. Many people will believe in the value of the blood of Christ. I've seen, you've seen the bunker, uh, bumper sticker, you know, uh, 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 by blood. I forgot the exact phrase, but, you know, there's many individuals that use that religious phrase, the blood of Christ, but not the blood alone. Many people will claim that Christ is mediator, that Christ is mediator between God and man, but not that Christ is mediator between God and man alone. Uh, many people will acknowledge the authority of the scriptures, but not the authority of the scriptures alone. Let's go back to the first one. Many people. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. Same, same slide. Sorry. Many people, you know, put me in, put me in. I believe salvation by faith, but not by faith alone. Salvation is somehow the law, whether it's the law of God or any set of rules, but especially the law of God. We want to make that work. We want to, that's worked in somehow. I know it's a common illustration, but the law is like a thermometer. When I was in the hospital, you know, I get my vitals checked three, well, ten times a day maybe. I don't know. You know, every time, put the thermometer in my mouth. And if I'm sick, you know, if I had a fever, no matter how much I suck on that thing, it's not going to change anything. It's diagnostic, not therapeutic, right? It's just going to tell me I'm sick. I could all I want, and it's not going to. It's a revealer of sin, not a remover of sin. But somehow we say, "Oh, that's ludicrous." You think a thermometer can take away your your fever? Well, people think the law can take away their sin sickness, or they can set up a, 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 a code of ethics. Many people believe in the value of the blood of Christ, but not in the value of the blood of Christ alone. Christ is mediator, but not Christ is mediator alone. You've heard the term I have to co-mediatrics. There's some kind of a co-mediator out there, so says religion, that is on the plane of the Lord Jesus. It's blasphemous. Nonsense. That's not the word of God. But people will claim that. I think we, I think I'm told we just had a holiday, you know, you know, we've got to go and honor that comediatrics, whatever. That's not what the Bible says. Religion mixes things up. They have the terms, but they redefine the terms. Now, chapter four. Uh, I think, yes, now we can switch to the next one. And this is our last slide, I think. Yes, last slide. 
Good time. Okay, the righteousness of God is given to the believer, but now it's going to be illustrated. Did we get to the next one? There we go. Chapter 4. Thank you. Go over them. By faith, not works. By faith, not rights. By faith, not the law. By faith in God's promise. Okay, we're just going to briefly go over this and then we'll be done. By faith, not works. Abraham was justified, right? Abraham, listen to this, to him, verse 4, to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's not by works. Works, again, it's so ingrained into us, and it can, it, it, it can include anything religious. I'm sitting in church every Sunday. Doesn't that count for something? I go to the praise and worship. Doesn't that count for something? Surely God sees me and and, and he's going to give me some credit for that. Surely if if I, if I, if I, if I, if I pray the right way, God's going to give me some credit for that because I do it better than my neighbor. It's, 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 it's ingrained in us. There's something I have to do. It's a self-satisfied salvation. The vast majority of individuals in the world have a self-satisfied salvation, but it's not the God-given salvation. Did you see the Facebook post that we had? I don't know if it's there yet. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We need to turn from self to the Savior to get God's salvation. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We find great uh, solace and success in ourselves. <laughs> Ooh, you know, I'm not so bad as the next one. But the Lord offers salvation in Himself, not in ourself. It's not. It can't be come from ourselves. Self confidence in our strength, our stock, our substance, our speech, our smarts, our sacraments. We can list it all. But the Bible says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We want to turn from these. By faith, not rights. Right, uh, the, the righteousness of God is not by rights, R-I-T-E-S, right? That's a good Bible word, right? The Bible talks about the right of Passover, Numbers chapter 9. Now, as a religious rite, specifically, we're talking about circumcision here. That circumcision was required of all of Abraham's descendants as a sign of the covenant that God made with him. Genesis chapter 17, Acts chapter 7, verse 8. We can look at that at another time. But uh, it was required by all of Abraham's descendants. It was a sign or seal, verse 11 and 12, right? Uh, 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 as I signed, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised. That's a, that's a key point, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. God's purpose was that Abraham might be the father of all that believe and are thereby justified Jew or Gentile. It's not by the right of circumcision. Listen, do you remember in the church history, uh, in, in Acts chapter 15, well, uh, the uh, church there, it, it, there was some that rose up and they said, they, they heard about Gentiles becoming believers, non-Jews. They said, whoop, no, no, you've got to be circumcised if you want to be saved. And they had to settle that question. It's not by circumcision, not by any right, 
baptism or otherwise, sacraments, secret ceremonies, you know, our suppers. Religion has all kind of things, right? That we, 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 we feel some merit if we, we keep up with all the secret ceremonies and suppers and so forth. A religious person may feel right in all the rites they practice, but ultimately not be right with God, R-I-G-H-T. Thirdly, doing good, faith by faith, righteousness is by faith, not the law. Look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Why? Verse 14, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Faith is actually set aside because it is a principle that is completely opposite to law. Faith is a matter of believing. The law is a matter of doing. And we want to feel as if we can do something. Verse 15, the law brings about wrath. It's not by law because the law brings wrath, not his blessing. It condemns all who fail to keep its commandments perfectly and continuously. And since no one can do that, all under the law are condemned. Therefore, it is a faith. And then verse 16, Abraham becomes the father of us all that believe. Abraham is not only a pattern of faith, but the parent of faith in verse 16. And if we were looking to Genesis, Genesis, he's the patriarch of Israel. In Romans, he's the patriarch of all who believe. I just want to, I know we only have a few minutes left. I just wanted to expand on this little comment here in uh, verse 13. I've always been amazed at this. Have you ever noticed it? Perhaps you have. For the promise that he, Abraham, should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That We could spend weeks or now to whatever Mike said this morning till, till the rapture. And we heard this morning about an heir of Christ. This promise that Abraham should be the heir of the world. Where do you find that in the Bible? Well, it's lovely to trace. And if I have a handle on it, it goes back to Genesis chapter 12. When God called Abraham out, he said, In you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. He expanded later. Genesis 17. Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Right? The father of many nations. Galatians chapter 3. It, it, it applies to us. It applies to you and me if we know if we know the Savior. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. The seed is Christ. That's who the seed is. In your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. And praise the Lord. The seed is Christ. And that promise pertains to you and me who know the Savior. If you and I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Listen. Hebrews declare God who at sundry times and in a diverse manner spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, who is heir of all things. Listen, Christ is the heir of all things. And Romans 8, 6, 8, 17, we believers are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, he, Paul expands on this even further in the end of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 3. He said, listen to this. They were squabbling over, I'm a Paul. I'm a Peter. I'm a Apollos. I'm like this man, I want this man, I want this man. Paul sums it all up and he says, listen, 
All things are yours. And he expands. He gives a, quite an inventory. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or things present or things to come or life or death or any other thing. All things are yours. You know, this beats anything, any line of succession that anybody could have in this world. All things are yours. He's the heir of the world, Abraham. Because Christ, is, his seed is the heir of all things. You know, sometimes we get a little bit... You know, jealous. We're looking on on Google and we see all the possessions of these individuals. We're we're impressed, you know. (laughs) But all things are yours. That that is mind-boggling. The heir of the world. The promise that Abraham should be the heir of the world. This is greater than any being heir of the throne. You know, you read about the the wonders of the of the of the, of the royal line there in England and all the stories that go with it and 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 and, and, and you know all the, the benefits of being an heir. Well, we're the heir of all. All things are yours if you know Christ. Can you imagine, have you ever looked around and you say, wow, look at what they're preparing for me right now, going down the street. You know, if you'd live here, you'd be home now. Well, one of these days, I might live there. Because it's all mine. He's the heir of the world. He's, that, that, this is tremendous. It beats any being in anybody's will. You know, they say, where there's a will, there's relatives. Well, well, you know, I, 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 I'm an heir of God and a joint heir through Christ. If you know Christ as Savior, all things are yours. That's beautiful. We can spend... Oh, kind of time. You know, sometimes... Uh, well, anyway, we'd better not do that. Okay, one more thing. By faith... Righteousness is by faith in God's promise. Abraham's response of faith to God and God's promise to him was the human requirement for God justifying Abraham. God's declaring that Abraham stood righteous before him. No wonder God credited such faith. You, you know, when you can't help but wonder and marvel at the faith of Abraham. Look at that, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Can you imagine? A hundred years old, your wife is 90 and she's going to have a child. What faith? He believed God. Look at the stars, he said. Abraham believed God. And God counted to him for righteousness. Did he believe about Jesus? Well, you know, somebody said there's an unfolding drama of redemption. Did he know everything about Jesus? I don't know that he did. Uh, but, but, but his faith was counted for righteousness. And now that's the same principle that you and I, when we believe in God, the faith of Abraham is defined in this passage. And the application is at the end. And that concludes our lesson. It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. Abraham believed that God would give life to the dead, right? That is, to his weak body and Sarah's barren womb. We believe that God has given life to the dead by raising the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that's our lesson today. You know, and as we read the Old Testament, they're not like ancient, historical, boring records that have nothing to do with you and me. They have everything to do because they provide for us beautiful pictures, beautiful illustrations. Sometimes we use the word type. Beautiful illustrations of, of, of New Testament truth. 
And we thank our God for the whole of Scripture. Not for his sake alone was it written, but for our sakes also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Just as Abraham believed that God could bring forth life from the dead, so do we. And God will justify. The sinner who believes is free can say the Savior died for me, can point to the atoning blood and say this made my peace with God. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth we have here in this part of Romans, in all of Romans, but the, 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 the solemn truth that we can be declared right through no merit of our own. Righteousness is not by our right doing. The perfect righteousness of God is witnessed in the Savior's blood. Because that sinless Savior died, my sinful soul can be counted free, justified freely by his grace. We thank you, O God, for such a truth and pray that you will impress this upon each of us here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.